I, I picture this being recorded in a submarine in like the <laughs> bottom of the ocean with all the yeah. lights off, and he's just sitting there playing in like complete dark and stillness, <laughs> live from the Marianas Trench. Yeah. <laughs> And welcome to another week of 1001 Album Complaints, the podcast where old friends, lifelong musicians get together to dissect and analyze an album from Robert Dimery's 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. This week, we will be talking about the Mars Voltas, deloused in the comatorium. <laughs> Sorry. Already giggling at the title, I'll stop. It's right. The lyrics go downhill from there, I think. Right. But no, you know, let's not let's not blow our tops just yet, gents. Before we get into introducing our cast of characters today and talking about the Mars Volta's debut record, Delouse in the Comatorium, I wanted to remind listeners that if you're enjoying what you're hearing, you should shoot us over an email at 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. And in fact, I'm going to open up the old mailbag right now and read some lovely listener mail. And oh, I should mention too, I didn't add this before, but listeners, tell us where you're writing from. Tell us where you're listening from. We'd love to be able to add that in. Don't have that for today's mailbag, but okay, in the future. Listener Garrett writes, as per your invite, I am dropping you an email to say I enjoyed this very much indeed. First of all, this guy's so polite. Very. <laughs> He's got to be British or Canadian. I think he is British, actually. That's a good, <laughs> okay. that's a good point. Right. There are other little clues in here. As a huge Bell and Sebastian fan, it can be hard to be impartial because I think everything they do is amazing. But it was fascinating to hear your thought process, especially from a technical point of view. I think you may have missed the point about this lo-fi production a little bit, but that's completely part of the charm. Anyway, I'm really glad I found your podcast. Stay cool, Garrett. All right. Thank Thanks, you, buddy. Well, that Bell and Sebastian episode, I got to say, that is rising in the charts. That's fast becoming one of our most popular episodes. Certainly the one we've gotten the most listener mail about. For so sure. perhaps That's like the second or third email, right? I know. So perhaps just a very dedicated fan base, or maybe it's folks in the UK really passionate about music podcasts. But thank you. Continue writing us about that. I have one more to read for you guys. Listener Paul writes, I'm new to the podcast but have become addicted. Favorites so far include Pink Floyd, Bell and Sebastian, Springsteen, which he adds, I listened to twice, and ZZ Top. Oh, ZZ Top going deep. That's right, baby. Deep into, into the, the catalog. catalog. Yeah, we got a rich yeah. catalog for you guys. Listener Paul goes on, the one I've loved, but you completely turned me against the album massively, is Nena Cherry, Raw Like Sushi. <laughs> <laughs> which I went back and listened to after the episode and your verdicts on the album became very much mine. And it really is bloody terrible. <laughs> yeah. Was he implying he liked it before? I think so. Maybe. I think so. And I just wanted to say, that's what we're here for, Paul, to turn people against complete wankers like Nana Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for writing in. That email address again is 1001albumcomplaints at Gmail. Let us know where you're listening from. Give us some comments. Tell us where we're wrong. School us. Whatever you want to do. Tell a friend about this podcast. 
post this podcast to a fan group. It, it helps get the word out. Every little bit counts quite a lot. And above all, thank you so much for listening. Okay, I want to go right into talking about the Mars Volta's deloused in the comatorium. Just so we kind of are all on the same page and know what we're dealing with, let's go ahead and play the opening strains of this record. There's sort of an intro and a kick in, and we're going to play that now. As we often do here on this show, we're going to throw it around the room. I want to hear tweet-length reviews of Deloused in the Comatorium, and we're going to throw it first to Tom. All right. Hi, everybody. This is Tom. Let me pull up my tweet-length review here. Messy, unfocused, manic, slightly insane, bloated, but enough about how I've been feeling. Let's talk about this album. (laughs) No, I, I, I dig this album, but all of those comments are accurate. It is messy. It is somewhat unfocused. It is definitely insane and is very bloated, but I still really dig it. All right, yeah. Hey, this is Adam, and my quick tweet-length review of the album Herp Dap and the Schmerple Derple <laughs> is that everything, everything about this album, from the concept to the lyrics to the title to the cover art, is dumb. <laughs> wow okay coming in hot phil yeah i i would say uh behold sonic maximalism <laughs> how many notes can one group play excellent excellent okay i have two short ones for you one is this sounds like it was created on another planet or at least in a far <laughs> distant future <laughs> This is what Blade Runner is listening to while hunting replicants. <laughs> yeah, definitely a dystopian future. This is not, oh. a, not a happy future. It's not Star Trek. Okay, I'll quit while I'm ahead. We'll leave it there for now. And I'll give you a little background on what's going on with Mars Volta and Dean Laust and the Comatorium. So this was released, in fact, on June 24th, 
2003. And let's talk a little bit about personnel. The core of Mars Volta are Cedric Bixler Zavala. He's the vocalist. And a guy called Omar Rodriguez Lopez. He is the guitar player, the occasional bass player, and the producer, along with one Rick Rubin. You also have John Theodore on drums. You have Flea playing bass on most of the tracks. This might be an explanation for why the rhythm section is pretty damn tight throughout this record. Mm -hmm. I think you guys will agree. You have a guy called Isaiah Owens on keys. And you have one more member that's on this record called Jeremy Ward, who sadly died of a heroin overdose one month before the record came out. He was on, he's credited with sound effects and sound manipulation. Yeah, yeah. I can see why that deserved a credit on this album. You have to call out that specifically on this album because there is a lot of sound manipulation going on. Sometimes to its detriment. There is so much strange stuff going on here. I'll just give you a little taste of what some people have said about the album that aren't us, because I thought these were great little snippets. One review said, This is not an album to listen to casually. It insists on taking over your life for an hour, demands a level of concentration rare in rock music, and amply repays multiple plays. And then perhaps my favorite description of an album ever Another reviewer said, Imagine a jam session between King Crimson, Fugazi, and 70s Miles. Now, imagine it working. That's the Mars Volta. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, you know what's interesting? I, I totally see the Miles Davis and what was the first one? King Crimson. King Crimson, yeah. I, I guess I just don't know enough Fugazi. Uh, is what that tells me. I would like to. I would like to offer a counterpoint to that, by the way, which is that Pitchfork gave this album a four point nine out of ten. By the way, so, of course they would. I, I don't know. Of course, garbage. it's just garbage. Whether that was a retrospective review or an at the time review, I don't even know which one is worse. They're they're dumb. <laughs> no, it's it's a it's a contemporary review. It's from two thousand three. Okay. Well. So perhaps what you need to know in, in the way of background is that Bixler Zavala, again, the vocalist, and Rodriguez Lopez, the guitar player, had played together in another semi-successful band called At The Drive-In. And that was considered more of a post-hardcore band. So you, if you listen to that band, you'll see some of those aspects, some of the aspects from Mars Volta on display. But truly, is it a different style of music? I think you'll identify pretty quickly. I have to say, though, I... I had never listened to At The Drive-In before. Not a note. I knew the name. I was expecting emo pop, and I was definitely pleasantly surprised by what I actually got when I listened to At The Drive-In. I thought it was going to be like, you know, Blink-184 or something like that, but it turned out to be like pretty actually palatable. <laughs> what, what I was most surprised by, they're, they're, they're harder, I think, than this. Oh, this is pretty hard, you could argue, but vocally... I was surprised to hear Bixler Zavala do much more screaming, yelling, as opposed to this operatic style that he has in Mars Volta. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they're from El Paso, which is sort of interesting right off the bat, and that's part of where you get some of these mixed-in Spanish language influences, and they're just maybe coming from a from a slightly from a place that not a lot of bands necessarily come from. I saw I did see a fun anecdote that Bixler Zavala once played in a band with Beta O'Rourke on bass in the early '90s, though. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good. And this is, like so many things, it's a concept album. Take that for what it's worth. We could talk about the lyrics soon. But the idea about this debut album is it's based on a conceptual character whose story mirrors that of their late friend, a guy called Julio Venegas, 
who, following a drug overdose, entered a coma for a number of years before ultimately awaking and then committing suicide. Oh, God. Fuck. The album, thematically and musically, is intended to convey the internal struggle of a similarly comatose protagonist, who in their story is called Serpent Taxed, which is not a real name, guys. (laughs) (laughs) They barely use real words in in these They barely use real words. words. (laughs) Did they actually try to tell this story with the English language? Because I know that there are, are... there are words I recognized, but I didn't see them in any uh, recognizable pattern. <laughs> well, that was that was one of the other things I wrote down as a possible tweet, is that this is highly experimental music that blisters your skin, nearly melts your brain, and if you listen closely, will probably help you with the Sunday crossword puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So... Okay, so, you know, so they, they, they'd been together for quite a while, but they decided to form this new band. You know, when At The Drive-In broke up, they kind of split into two bands after that, and Mars Volta was the one that these two guys formed. They hook up with Rick Rubin after making an EP, and they go to Rick Rubin's mansion recording, it's a house in Laurel Canyon, where he famously recorded Blood Sugar Sex Magic with the Red Hot Chili right. Peppers, right? And that's so that's where the, this was recorded, which is kind of cool. It's an actual house. I think before Blood Sugar Sex Magic, it was just Rick Rubin's house that he lived in. And then he started recording bands there. Of interest is that some other stuff that, that was recorded there. The song 99 Problems, the song November Rain, Ooh. and the entire album Mesmerize and Hypnotize, which Adam By, called yeah, out system his, of a down. as his favorite yeah. system of a down that's record. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, like... Uh, that house in Laurel Canyon, that's got to just be all Beastie Boys money, right? Like, that's where that came from. <laughs> I have to. Or LL Cool J money. Or... I mean, like, he's Ricky Roops. The guy's got yeah, a lineage. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. Like, he has, he's yeah, made money he's got in a lot coming of... in from yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is, yeah, this is, well, I guess I guess he would have had it in the early 90s if he recorded the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So, yeah, probably Beastie Boys and early hip-hop kind of money, right? But he, he made a lot of money on a lot of things, certainly. And it just, it Which, doesn't seem to stop. By the way... I was wondering about how out the drive at the drive-in certainly a successful band, but how do you get Flea on your album? And then how Ooh, do you get yeah. not only Flea? How do you get Storm Thorgerson, the guy who made the Dark Side of the Moon cover, to make the cover of your yes. album? It's all Rick Rubin. It's got it all. Oh, it's yes. the same guy. Yeah. So that wow. was a, that was a revelation that really clicked into place because I've only kind of passively observed this band over the years. To be honest with you, this was my first deep listen, but I've noticed their cover art. I think this cover art is awesome, and I think the second album cover art is awesome too. So when I heard that Storm. Thorgerson of Thorgerson of Dark Side of the Moon and other Pink Floyd album fame did the cover. I was like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Why I like it's funny because I said the cover is by Storm Thorgerson, not his strongest work. Mostly just because his strongest work is Dark Side of the Moon, which is the best (laughs) album cover of all time. It's it's not even a diss on this album cover. The album art is awesome. I think he repurposed. The, uh, the prism from oh, yeah, Dark yeah. Side of the Moon. You got this triangle-looking blade of light in there. Yeah, so. just replaced the, using the, shapes. The, How dare you? The prism right. with a How fat, dare you? Bald Color? guy's head. <laughs> Colors and shapes. Ugh. Let's just so talk, derivative. <laughs> let's just talk general impressions of this of this album. What, what do you guys think about the album as a whole? He kind of he kind of summed it up. But other other general thoughts you want to get out there, Adam? 
I, yeah, I came in a little hot, uh, but I did enjoy this. Although it, for me, it was tough. Uh, it was a, v- a family vacation week on the week that I was supposed to be listening to this. This does not lend itself to sitting outside with the barbecue and the family and friends being played on repeat. But once I finally got a chance to sit down with headphones, it is manic at times and loud and aggressive and there's melody and it's just, it's such a hodgepodge, but I like it. Honestly, I, I, I came to, I came to like it after a couple, well, whoever the reviewer was that said, you know, you owe yourself a couple times through, it did take a couple times through for it to really, uh, for me to sink my teeth into it. Speaking of things that, uh, yeah, it definitely doesn't pair with a family vacation with your kids <laughs> on a placid lake. <laughs> I, I wrote down, I've never been to war, but this is what I imagine battle sounds like. <laughs> yes. I can see that. My my note on the album, just general impression, is that this is not meant to be consumed in single form. This is Ooh, meant to be listened yeah. to as an album. They issue choruses. They issue, like, sonic pleasantness. It's just, it, it is a avalanche of sound coming at you pretty much start to finish and you kind of have to be along for the whole ride or you're really going to miss a lot of it even on our focus list like we left off the opening track which you can't decouple those two tracks and there's a lot of tracks you kind of can't decouple they sort of all bleed into each other in a way that is mesmerizing but also it is a commitment it you can't again not a casual listen Given that that it's that aural assault that you just described, which I agree with, that's I, I got to be fair. I like this record; it rocks. I think nothing else sounds like it before or since, which is a credit to it. However, it goes on way too long. Like I am so tired by the end of this. If I actually commit to listening to it all the way through, partially because it's a long record, objectively, and partially because it's such an assault on the senses. Like you said, you're never. You're never in a state of placidity. You're never calm. Even when they go down, the band goes down. I'm always afraid. Like, they're lurking around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think it is that long. I think it's like 38 minutes long. 60 minutes long. 60 minutes long. I was completely wrong. Right? It's like, but it's like you just sort of like enter into this fugue state and then you, and then the album's over and you're like, oh my God, I feel like I breathe for the first time in forever. It's, yeah, it's, it's insanity. There were moments when Rob, you, what you said kind of sparked something in my head where you say you're always like waiting for the snare hit because there's this like gunshot snare thing that they do occasionally where it's like, and then there's like a break you, you know like and it's like a weird a track too <laughs> yeah right. but then like you know later on in the song they'll like give you a break but it's not just a four count or an eight count it's like a seven and or some weird thing and it's a suck it out you just yeah well that that initial kick-in for a debut record the one we just played that is an excellent freaking kick-in and I, I agree the first two tracks really can't be uncoupled so i'm glad we played that that went across two tracks what we played but that is that's a way to hook me on any record. That rocks hard. And I'm not going to harp on this too much right now because I'm going to harp on it for the rest of the fucking podcast here. But Flea is such a tastefully good bass player on this album. He really puts on a non-showy clinic 
It is just the holding it down clinic. So you, you know what's interesting, Tom? When I was, I knew Flea was on this record when I listened to it through the first time, and I think there are lots of things on this record that remind me or reminded me of One Hot Minute. Remember the record mm. after yeah, oh, yeah. Blood, Sex, Sugar, yeah. Magic, which is also a Rick Rubin record. And I just feel like the Chili Peppers went in this direction that people just didn't like, essentially. So they put out Californication and did that for like the next 20 years. But there's a lot of like, there's a lot of places here that are very experimental. I agree. And I agree. Like Flea is not, he doesn't feel the need to like remind you that he's Flea. He's not ripping it. He's just right. holding it down in, with this right hand that is just mm-hmm. on the beat with the drums. In a sea of showiness, right? Yes, because yes, every exactly. other person, vocalist, maybe the guitar player you could argue is not showy, but he's certainly in your face consistently. And the, the drums are pretty showy, I would say. And just the way the music is composed is extremely showy. So the fact that Flea is locked in there, I, I noticed that too. How kind of few notes he plays and how in the pocket he is with that drummer, despite the crazy stuff the drummer's doing. So, the, so the good. drummer rips, by the way. He really does rip. It's like, I don't know if we're going to transition into talking about the, the, I guess, the second track or the first two tracks together, but that drum beat over the now I'm lost this is like driving music for me I have this these two songs on a couple of playlists that I listen to a lot when I drive and I cannot help but tap that out on the steering wheel every time I hear it it's such an insanely good gallop really good yeah I, I think this song which is called Inertiatic ESP the second song which had the little intro that kicked into the song is one of the places where it really works, where you could almost believe this is a single. I agree. It's not really parsed out into singles, this record, but I think this is a place where some of their excesses are maybe a little more tamed or perhaps it's, let's talk about some of the bad sides of the record. Their approach to lyric writing is ridiculous and dare I say stupid. Now, the singer really sells the bad lyrics. To, to, Yo, to totally. Be fair. You think he's saying something. Right. And so, and because of the way it's produced also, and wait, the way he sings, and he's such a crazy vocal talent, you don't, it's, I'm usually a lyrics listener, and it's really easy for me to not notice what's in those lyrics. So until I really dug in, I didn't notice too much. But, you know, no, occasionally with this kind of word salad, alphabet soup approach, they'll hit some good stuff in there we can pull out some good lines but there's some other lines that make no sense adam you called it laura mipsum text right. 100 accurate <laughs> feels like what a challenge you talking about in particular like i you know i didn't dig into the lyrics are there any I, specific examples i pulled out some stuff from later yeah if you have something for this song adam please say but i have some ridiculous stuff for later in the focus list now, yeah, I, I think I'm I'm later as well. Actually, sorry for this song. If we're on inertiatic, right? Uh, there was a line in there that stuck out. Was its musk was fecal in origin? Ooh, okay. <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about, but it's apparently musky and fecal in origin. So, if we're gonna let's let's transition to these songs and let's just play a snippet from elsewhere in that tune. We already heard the kick in to inertiatic ESP, but let's play another spot in this tune. Listen, I'm lost. I'm lost. 
So I think a couple other things come to mind with this. I, I think this is an example of where he hits, if you could call it a chorus, the Now I'm Lost part. That's a really epic part. And Now I'm Lost is an example of a good lyric. He found a good, simple lyric paired with a great melody, and it really works for me. And that's the part that stuck out to me in the song when I was a more passive listener. And so, yeah, but then then you have these lines like what Adam said, which is, are you literally just pulling from your middle school vocabulary book and trying to... <laughs> make no sense and and even the title of this song inertiatic that's not a word that is not a word <laughs> yeah yep. it seems to be based on the word Rob inertia will tell you right right but it's not real so i one of my <laughs> notes on this song is that um you know sometimes you listen to a song this happens a lot with like radiohead songs for me you listen to a song and you don't know what the lyrics are but you like the song and you want to sing along so you kind of phonetically sing along and eventually over time it sort of morphs into words mm-hmm. that you're just sort of making up that sort of sound kind of like the words that he's singing, but it's just nonsense word salad. When yeah. I went back through and looked at the lyrics, I actually nailed it on a couple of these, which I was kind of <laughs> like, there's no way that that could actually be the words like that. What of this mongrel architect, a broken arm of sewers set past, present and future te- tense clip side of the pink eye fountain. I was like, I the, I had the the a broken arm of sewer set, past, present, and future tense, clip side of the pink eye fountain. I had those words. That's what I was singing. And I was like, well, I'm sure there's actual words there and not just this word salad nonsense that I've made up in my head is like headcanon. But no, apparently that's right. Can I take a, can I take a diversion on that theme, which is Phil and Tom, we grew up playing music. These young whippersnappers have all the lyrics at their fingertips. We, growing up in 1995-ish, did not. So we all sat down with the song Yellow Lead Better by Pearl Jam. And I'm pretty sure everybody took a whirl at the lyrics. Yeah. And it's it, it makes no sense. I think at a couple points, Tom, I forget who even sang that, but I, I know if it was me, I'm probably just mumbling. Oh, yeah. You're like, on the ceiling... Out on the porch, oh, uh, so Sail mouse did it again. I you mean, get, you I, always think the last one. I learned on this podcast that Alanis Morissette does not say, uh, I had baked for you. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I had baked for you. So, all right. Sorry. I, went brought down this, the uh, I brought that up to talk shit on the lyrics, certainly, because they are talk shittable to the extreme. All right. They rock a mic like a candle. All right. <laughs> but <laughs> but you guys appreciate that. But what I came to appreciate on several different listens is that he is using his voice like an instrument. And it is very melody first. It's almost like he's a saxophone. And He's just sort of making crazy melodies and then filling in words that fit whatever cadence of sounds he's trying to make. And I could appreciate it on that level a lot more like, oh, his voice is just an instrument and it's not necessarily about what he's saying, which somewhat clashes with this whole concept that there's a through storyline and it's a concept album about this experience. But 
but it made me appreciate it a little bit more. I could get past the just absolute garbage word salad of lyrics. Yeah, I, I got to admit, the word salad of lyrics doesn't really bother me that much. I think there's plenty to make fun of there. But, and I hear what you're saying about using your voice as an instrument, which I think is an interesting and admirable approach. Melody first, and then maybe even what you're saying is after melody, go with phoneme, you know, different parts of words, different sounds, and don't worry about the meaning too much. But that said, he does land on some, some, some decent lyrics. I think, I just think in his mind, he probably thinks they do have meaning. Past, present, and future tense, that's a pretty good line. Now I'm lost, that's a pretty good line. Like, you'll have them in there every once in a while, and you'll go like, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, but you're I'll, never I'll like, go along with this. whoa, mind blown. You're like, okay, sure, that's a sentence. That's a thing that right. people would actually say. No, it's definitely not. Okay, I, I, I got to confess something before we go any further, because I feel like if I personally was the person listening to this podcast, and I was hearing myself talk about this record rocking and be sounding really good, I would, the line I kept drawing in my head while I was listening this week was to another record that I have defamed thoroughly on this podcast. Which is System of a Down. How is this band actually different than System of a Down? I'm just I'm asking myself as much as anybody. Because I said I didn't like the System of a Down record. The lyrics were ridiculous. They're good musicians, singers all over the place in a good way. You know, in some cases, it has talent, I mean. The players have talent. I just see how you could group these two together. And in fact, they were both produced by Rick Rubin. I think uh, you just yeah. ruined Mars Volta for me completely. And I think well, you just made one. system even better. <laughs> here's one thing I will say that I did not like about the system of the down albums that I felt like there were times where they settled back into tropes or settled back into conventional like type of vocals and stuff like that. That was one of my bigger complaints is I liked when they were really weird and experimental and I didn't like mm. when they settled back into some weird tropes and these guys don't settle back. That's a good point. All. Yeah, like what There's tropes yeah. are they no even pulling back. from? This this feels very new at every turn. Mhm. Mm like you said, it's an alien fucking language. It's like the guitar player doesn't understand how to play guitar in the best way possible. Right. Like it's, yeah. that there, was, that, are, there are times where I feel like they're speaking Santana a little. Like they get like, but but it's like deep Santana. That, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like soul sacrifice Santana. It's not like, uh, like come of a Santana. Well, you grew up as a, like a Mexican-American guitar player. Are you right. not going to worship Santana? Like, I'm sure his dad loves Santana. There's like, nothing wrong with Santana <laughs> at all. <laughs> Santana's great. Rob and I have been playing with a, a, a co-worker of ours. He's the drummer on that Arby's album. And he's just like, like growing up, Sant it was like, Santana was like on par with Jesus in our house. It was like Jesus <laughs> and awesome. Santana. Right. Those are the two pictures on the wall. You do not mess with either one of those guys, right? <laughs> You offered just an explanation for why for the lyrics that I that I think made made it click for me, which is maybe they come in as a band and they go, we want this to sound so crazy new, like nothing else has ever happened. Alien language. It has to be words you've never even heard of. It has to be juxtapositions of English words or an archaic stuff from the vocab book. So that actually that actually helps me a little bit with it. But I, I wanted to mention that this guy Omar Rodriguez Lopez apparently is known to have one of the most expansive guitar pedal collections ever with <laughs> guitar world magazine claiming that he, he goes out there with 200 effects like to the stage. Jesus. 
He's like the Neil Pert of guitar players. Exactly, exactly. I'm and not I, very comfortable saying that that's too many. Well, <laughs> no, no. And I, I thought you guys would like this quote, maybe particularly Phil. He's quoted as saying, I began to see effects pedals as allies in my war against the guitar. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's... Definitely listened That's to a lot of Santana fantastic. growing up. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty fantastic. What's that guitar pedal you always talked about making, Phil? It's just called the Santana, and there's no knobs. It just you step on it, and it turns on the Santana sound, and that's well, it. Well, hold on, there's got to be a knob. You need more Santana or less Santana, clearly. <laughs> just an all. It's all Santana. Just, just an all no, no, there is no more or less Santana. There's just Max Santana. That's all that you get. You turn it on, it's just Max Santana. <laughs> I to be clear, I I agree. I think Santana is great, and you. You, it's hard to snuff at somebody who has such a recognizable guitar tone. Let's put it that way. Like, who else is even in that category? Trey Anastasio? Yeah, like Stevie Ray Vaughan, yeah. Jimi Hendrix. Not, right? Like it's really. I feel like those guys, it's not even about the tone. It's about the like the playing technique, Santana. Because yeah. Yeah. when we talked about on the um, the Donald Fagan, the Nightfly podcast, that like that one guitar over, um, I think it was the Goodbye Look, had that very Trey Anastasio sound to it, which is kind of poppy, like really trebly, stabby high guitar. But there's not anyone else that you're just like, oh, that's Santana. The second they play one note. Yeah, like, oh, no, yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah. you know, you knew instantly on smooth, right? Like that, yeah. that was Santana. He, whatever that knob setting is, <laughs> he owns that knob setting. That's that's like, I wonder if you could patent that and be like, no, 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 that's my knob setting. Okay, you can't have the treble set there, the mid set there, and the bass set there. That's me. That's all me. So. Team of lawyers swarms the stage. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of Santana, let's roll right along to the next tune it's called hold, hold on hold on before, before we leave this song i i have to mention this and again i'm going to fanboy out over flea a little bit on this album very justifiably the right hand work that he does on this song is so insanely good and i feel like it can get lost of how hard it is to do what he is doing that triplet yeah that really fast triplet gallop is it is badass. so in lockstep with that bass drum in a way that is freakish I don't like it almost seems like they went in and post and moved certain notes to match entirely with the way that that bass drum is working. That is so effing hard to do. And it's so not showy at all. But it is the reason why this entire song has this like floor that is just impenetrable. It is it holds the entire song up. And again, he's not doing a bunch of crazy left hand stuff. Or just so he's playing three notes. It's so hard to do, and I cannot let it go past without saying that that's like masterful and tasteful. You might want to get that timestamp there, Rob. That was a pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you know what would have made it easy to do on the bass? A pick. A pick. <laughs> No, I think you were absolutely wrong about that. Same here. I I think that you need to gallop on your ring, middle, and and uh, yep. index. Right. I think it's it's harder to do the bump, 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 bump with that on with a pick. It's harder to do that than it is to deal with the three finger gallop. The Bingo. Bump, yeah. Bump, 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 yeah. I politely disagree, but okay, moving on. <laughs> Go back to guitar player land over there, all right? But you get another hundred pedals. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I can tell you who didn't have a pedal on this album. <laughs> Wait, I don't understand. You're so, but you're telling me the pick is actually harder? Because I, I thought I was supporting your claim. 
that the easy man, the easy way out would be with a pick. No, no. I think it's I think it is easier to do it with the hand. It's just hard to do it, generally speaking, to have it be like a clean bum 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 bum. I'll record my version tonight and send it over to you guys. Okay, I'm let's sure move it right along <laughs> to the best song title, certainly on the record. Oh, man. Drunk Ship of Lanterns. <laughs> you got the lot to A shovel picks mother cries Is there a spirit that spits upon the edge of the side? This is definitely Santana City. Maybe I jumped the gun on that a little. Yeah, this is my favorite track. I I, I dig this one a lot. It had definitely had that Santana jingo, jingo, mm, jingo great rhythm. Call. Yeah, yeah, great. He's doing the the three over two like dotted mm-hmm. quarters beat. You know, yeah. that's really cool. That is so hot. That is really so good. That because it feels like it's holding the song back. It's like. In my head, I had it pictured as like a team of horses that's galloping down and you're like trying to hold them back so they don't go too crazy and like drive you over the cliff. And then every once in a while, they land on a cord where everybody sort of hits. It's just like, oh, shit. Is your head yeah, gold I, and light is flashing out of your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. And my head is also sitting on a table and I'm in the background somewhere. Yes. I just It took me a few listens to actually get to Santana. I may, maybe that's a reflection of me not having listened to Santana in a while. But my first thought was the rhythm section was just really hip like it felt very forward thinking and then it then finally it reminded me more of the 70s that's like a three the bass is doing like that boom 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 that's like a three over a long four right like over like a one two three four boom 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 right like that's the only way i was able to count it yeah it's like quarter dotted quarter dotted quarter yeah over over a normal measure of four there's all there's, there's all that, sorts of like three over two, three over four stuff going on here. Though. All that like, polyrhythm yeah, stuff. Totally. There's a break. There's a break at two oh eight where the drums mm-hmm. and that's a really is cool doing moment. this. I can't even describe. We'll drop it here. But you can hear that on the ride, he's doing the one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and the rest of the rhythm section is doing it. It's like, it's very cool. Very cool. Yeah, my note is that that whole breakdown that goes from like 151 to 230 is just fabulous. It's like the whole song. Yeah, right. Because it's a long song. This is like a seven minute song or something like that. That almost like 40 second breakdown 
really turns it into not this slog through a seven minute song. It gives you this variance in the middle. Yeah, totally. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I would have gotten sick of it if it was just that sort of like boom, 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 boom for the entire time. But it really, it made it really cool. But again, can we talk about the ridiculousness of these lyrics? The lash of 1,000 eyebrows clicking, counting the toll, counting the toll. What is that? There's like no universe where you could describe to me like, oh, that's what that means. Like, I have a degree in English. I am very suited to bullshit over non-meaning, or over meaning in non-meaningful lyrics. But I can't come up with anything for this. That's just yeah, this nonsense. song in particular, the lyrics and the sing something about it that like, gave me a very tool vibe. It didn't quite creep me out enough. Maybe again because it wasn't specific enough and as you guys are maybe you're pointing out it's actually about nothing the line that i pulled out i don't know if you caught this one tom but this this sent me to the dictionary transoceanic depth in this earth in the cenotaph oh yeah turns out that's an empty tomb oh Mm -hmm. wow so you know put that in your pipe and smoke it (laughs) stuff like that makes me think that if you were to talk to cedric He'd be like, you just don't understand the deep meaning in my lyrics. Like, these are really personal to me, and they really mean so much. And every time I write these lyrics, I think about these lyrics, I cry or something like that. You're like, dude, just stop taking yourself so seriously, okay? Like, I get it. It's fun word salad. Fine. Whatever. So if you had to guess how these guitars were recorded uh, throughout the album, do you have any any thoughts on that? Because I have some information about that. Well, this song was the one at the start I, I had texted on the group thread is there such thing as a slap guitar? Because the 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 starting guitar in this song, it's clean and it's very it's very yeah, it's very cool. That's the yeah, best yeah, sound I can I can or like you know Im- impression there is that it sounds like if you were slapping a bass but doing it on guitar strings. You also just sounded like a chicken. There, <laughs> <by> the <way. laughs> well, that's it. Just you just send a guitar signal through two hundred effects pedals with, right. <laughs> and you just lay on top of them and push the knobs wherever in random places. I, I picture this being recorded in a submarine in like the <laughs> bottom of the ocean with all the yeah. lights off and he's just sitting there playing in like complete dark and stillness. Live from the Marianas Trench. Yeah. <laughs> no, what I read that I thought was kind of an interesting little trick is said they were all small combo amps, tiny combo amps for the oh. guitar because I guess on stage the guy was using a bass amp, but on tape they felt like it wasn't like punching through enough. So they used all these really small amps and then just took the signal and did crazy stuff, not only through the effects pedals, but they had that whole other guy in the band who was on sound manipulation. Yeah, so. he, he jumps in at the six-minute mark here. Our, our friend Jeremy Ward takes over, and I think he earns his money at the end of this song.
Oh, the way that they had the one guitar like hard pan to the left and the sound effects are kind of pan to the right. And then they sort of take over and it swells into the next song at the very end. It's very cool. They, yeah. they use a lot of panning effects, actually. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that stuff with the vocals swirling around your head and making you feel very disoriented and things like that. Yeah, for, for our listeners, do yourself a favor. Don't just play this on your iPhone or a small uh, Bluetooth speaker. Put on a good set of headphones for this one. You're, you're going to appreciate Definitely. it. And this is something that I feel like casual music listeners don't understand or appreciate, is that that shit doesn't just happen. You really have to be very pur- purposeful about that. You have to do a lot of work to make that sound good and not just noise. And a lot of experimentation went into making that sound the way that it does. There's not just a button. That you right, no preset. That yeah. Yeah. What do you think these guys sound like live? They're on tour right now, by the way. That's a good question. I bet you. I mean, I bet they're pretty solid. Oh yeah. I bet you it's super solid. I bet you the drummer rips. <laughs> oh man. They probably they have to have some kind of quadraphonic system going on where they're tossing sound all around the stadium. Or I, I hope they're playing in stadiums, but they're probably playing in smaller places than that. Yeah, yeah, maybe not stadiums, but but they're pretty big. But I heard this anecdote about their early live shows. I'm sure they sound great now and have lots of money and extra people. But I heard this anecdote about how their early shows were, were manic and more often than not shit. And that was perhaps because of the super ambitious material. But then the reviewer oh said, "Oh my god, how do you learn? Yeah, if you were to, you know, tell, hey guys, we're gonna we're gonna play this album live, like." But there was another problem. Music. Uh, said the reviewer, which is the fact that both Bixler Zavala and Rodriguez Lopez began shooting dope and smoking crack at an increasingly alarming rate. Oh, I did not come across that in my research. That sounds like. Uh, so after he wrote the lyrics, he started shooting dope and smoking crack? I, I think it's impossible were... that Rick Rubin is the problem. Because it seems like everybody hangs out with that guy starts <laughs> shooting dope and like doing coke. I think you could argue that he's an enabler because his whole thing, he's like a human oblique strategies deck of cards, right? He just lets yeah, you do yeah. be you in the best way yeah, possible. Yeah. So if that means smoking crack in the studio. So here's what I pieced together, though, is that I think they were high as hell during this whole process. Because then what I read was... When the sound effects guy, Jeremy Ward, died a month before the release of, a, of an overdose, that's what caused them to finally try to kick drugs. So I think they were whacked out of their brains during this whole thing. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense in one aspect. But the aspect that it doesn't make sense is how can you sing like this <laughs> right. after smoking fucking crack? Right. Like, how does that not destroy everything in your entire, like, you know, um, like your lungs, your throat, your tongue? Everything has got to get affected by that. How are you such a singer like that? Because he has an amazing voice, like a really virtu- virtuistic voice. Yeah. It's amazing. Totally agree. Okay, let's move it right along to the next song we're going to talk about. Not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Cicatrice ESP. You recall its name as it suggested back and called his face in hell. We'll drag your name all through the mud and she'll find pain. Erupted in a statue's dust. Still scalping the sick and less 
this the follow-up to the other ESP song? Are they somehow related to each you other? No, I took a note so, that ESP did not mean extrasensory perception. It, it, there's some other, uh, some other thing they wanted mean, it to mean. Well, it might mean Spanish because that means scar in Spanish. Yes, but ESP is for Espanol. Doesn't mean anything. In, 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 <laughs> no, in no, Spanish, no. They, so, there was yeah. another. I can't find it in my notes, but there was another English interpretation of ESP. It made no sense. But yes, yeah, cicatrice does mean span. It does mean scar in Spanish. That's correct. One of their other song titles on the record is "Throw Me to the Spiders" in Spanish. By the way, just a creepy song title. Oh, that's pretty badass. Yeah, yeah. My note on this one is Jesus. This is a really long song. <laughs> Can I read to you from these? I know we've already dissed the lyrics, but this is where I this is really Bring where it I on. Felt like hit a loop, low point. <laughs> Sutured contusion beyond the ant hills of the dawning of this plague. Said I've lost my way, even if this cul-de-sac would pay. What? What <laughs> holy fuck are you talking about? <laughs> you know what? Honestly, the crack thing. It really makes a lot of shit come together for me. I'm like, oh, you're like just high on crack. You're, you know, as they would say, you're like, uh, you know, you're beaming up to the Enterprise. And, uh, you are not making any sense and gibbering in a corner. And somebody's like, oh, man, you got to write that down. That's really deep. So speaking of addicts, this track features one John Frusciante on guitar. No way. Yeah. yeah. I think he comes in. He hits in a couple times. Definitely in the excessive and i'm a guitar player by the way excessive guitar breakdown later in the song after the after the three minutes of space thing but I yeah think i was gonna say the first later or the the like later later <laughs> right, right, right. this one's a this one's a jammer right i think yeah my take on this i don't think this track was nearly as successful as the other two i think this is the track where they tried to loosen up a little bit whatever that might mean for them <laughs> and it's just not as cool as when they're tight now the rhythm section is still relatively unimpunable i should say when when they're actually playing, there's like a three minute space jam where they're just just making noise, just just doing delayed guitar like they're Pink Floyd, but without the whale noise. <laughs> earthless. The, this reminded me mm. of uh, some of the earthless stuff that Phil turned me on to years and years ago. That's a good call. Which is just that, yeah. that guy never stays quiet. Tom and I went to an Earthless show and he played oh my god guitar solos, blistering guitar solos for forty five minutes straight. I, I, there was I, I not a song straight. break. <laughs> There was nothing. I went, I went to see Earthless once, and it was the same thing. He, and then he came out and he did an encore, and he, what did they do? They did Communication Breakdown. It was the only <laughs> song with any singing, and 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 it included blistering guitar solos. <laughs> that I, I always love the fact that that guy also looks like he belongs in the parking lot of a Dave Matthews Band concert. He has like the backwards hat and cargo shorts on. <laughs> He's like a total like broish dude who's just like, oh no, I just shred the living shit out of the guitar. And then, you know, on the weekends, I just play some beer pong, man. You know, it's like flip cup or so whatever, you know? The, the best description I heard of that band, my wife asked me what they sound like. And I was like, you know that part at the end of the show, the very end of the concert, for where for like 10 seconds, the whole band's like, diddly, diddly, diddly. It's like that, but the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> but also, they're pretty great. You guys should, they you are should great. Totally see yeah, they are great. They are great. It's a lot. Totally. It's a lot. Kind of like this band is yeah, a they, lot, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. After an hour, you're tired. I will say, you need a nap. I love the bass tone on this song. Whatever tone that he's getting. And it almost sounds like, it doesn't sound like they did anything to change the actual recording or knobs or settings on the bass. It just sounds like he's really digging at the strings. Like, yeah. he's really going at them hard. And it's fucking fantastic. It's really good. 
that really does speak to just flee as a technical bass player too to to know like just how to overdrive just with his fingers yep. i mean it's like it's uh, he's the jeff beck of bass yes yeah. like you know like i don't change the settings on the guitar it's just all about how hard or soft yeah just turn yeah. every knob like, on the yeah. amp all the way up i'll just all take right. all the power <laughs> at my fingertips thank you very yep. much it's all it's all in how i play yep. it's all the feel yeah but this was this was the low point of the album for me definitely and i like the album but I would like to point out that the low point of the album for me is literally 20% of the album. This one song is 20% of the album and it's the low point for me. So it makes my love of the album, it calls it into question a little bit. I found that this was one of those front heavy albums that I listened to the first five or six tracks and then the last several tracks I just would never get to or it would be, I would tune out. By the time I got to them, yeah, I really had to be actively listening the whole time to really appreciate the rest of it. I, I had that same experience. I think it definitely falls off in the back half, and but it's partly because your mind is fatigued. Because as the, one the reviewer said that we mentioned at the beginning, this demands a certain level of musical attention. You can't just put this on in the background and chill. I mean that this, your, this was your a, next dinner party. This was essentially the point I was trying to make about Metallica's Black Album. Like, when am I really able to enjoy the Black Album? Like, what? How often am I on like a long car ride and it's just like boom, right? Alone like, for an hour, yeah, it's uninterrupted. Also just you, yeah. yeah. Right. Like this, this, you know, it's like most of my music listening is is cooking dinner, eating dinner, right? <laughs> Uh, so it, it lends to certain formats, and this is this is a tough one, right? There's a lot of. I think we've talked about this before. Like there are basically, it's, I think it's one of the reasons vinyl is making a comeback. There's two formats that people can listen to music in now, which is like playlists. Hey, I put a whole bunch of singles on my Spotify, and I have a playlist, or one half of a vinyl. Twenty minutes. And Twenty-four I, minutes. I've definitely gotten into the one half of a vinyl. Yeah. Like I can just I can throw on a half of a vinyl, and it doesn't matter if I only like one of the songs on there, or I, I don't know any of them. Like I can do that. But to sit down for an hour and listen to an hour straight of anything, it really takes a lot. Agreed. Speaking of takes a lot, I really <laughs> genuinely like the period in this song from like five and a half minutes, 545, straight through to like almost 10 minutes where it does full-blown Grateful Dead space, right? <laughs> like full-blown yeah, yes. Europe 72 space, right? And then launches into this very aggressive Santana part, right? Which again, I say Santana the best possible way. Nobody's doing Santana. Mm, right? this, this was drunk as fuck Santana though. That's the guitar <laughs> was pretty sloppy. That's it's just two guitar solos not talking to each other at all. Uh, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. And often when it's mixed that way, it is because right, like it's like oh, one of these doesn't really work, and let's just do two. That's got to be the Frashanti part, right? Yeah, I. I have, by the way, that part that you're talking about, the the Santana end of the song. I my note is drunk ship of lanterns reprise question mark because it kind of <laughs> sounded like that. I'm like, we already got seven minutes of that. I didn't yeah. need more of that. And it's it's mostly just the drums sound very that sound. I think what you got here, yeah, you got a band that's well high, obviously as we discussed, but you know they're pretty excited. They're high on themselves too. They have a new what can possibly be claimed as a new sound and 
they didn't do enough self-editing, right? Because the new sound kind of, they, they, they can't help but repeat themselves over the course of an hour, an hour on this record, I think. You'd think that's where Rick Rubin would have come in and helped a bit, right? They've got a sound. They're already coming out of the gate. Debut album, concept album. It's crazy as hell. Rick maybe tells him, hey, guys, can we cut 20 minutes? And uh, I, just, right I don't rain. think he works that way, though. I think he is he's more of he thinks of himself as a conduit to let you be you and take the pressure he's the off. muse right yeah right something like that because he's so chill he doesn't seem like a very directive i mean of course i haven't worked with him personally but this is my right. guess <laughs> i'll get him on the podcast oh, rick yeah, if you're listening him. we have uh we we want to get you on the show Well, you know he has a very successful podcast already so he's our competition oh right go for the throat maybe, maybe we can do like a mashup Oh, there you go. <laughs> All right, let's move it along. Rick? Yeah, let's move it along to this apparatus must be unearthed. <laughs> like, what is that? I'm oh, sorry. Since you laughed at the title, yeah, this is a ridiculous title. <laughs> Although I'm sure it's part of the fun of being in a band like this, they must have been laughing. I mean, you know, it's okay. It's 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 intended to be a play on the warning that is frequently found on guitar amps that says this apparatus must be earthed, meaning grounded. Ah, uh, wow! I didn't get that. I I should have gotten that. Nice. Yeah. For me, I'll just jump in and say, for me, this is the low point. I feel like every band member is a little off their game on this one. I agree. The whole record kind of starts to wane as we pass the halfway mark, and this one to me is is the bottom. The guitar squigglies are just not doing it for me. They just sound bad. They sort of battle the keyboards in an interesting way at times. I mean, this band off their game is still pretty good, to be clear. Yeah. Well, because it, the drummer's just shredding, right? The so as long as you don't yeah. fuck up rhythmically, you're good. Yeah, rhythm section is unassailable in terms of performance i would say but i just feel like the writing kind of took a flyer how does the bit crushed vocal flange like what does that do to you talk tell me get to tell me the feeling it gives you in your body i was actually okay with it on this song but i did notice that this is i think maybe the lowest that this singer sings melody wise and I think I know why he sings high, because he sounds like SpongeBob on this song. <laughs> when he tries to sing low, he sounds like a cartoon character. And that's not helped by the weird flange effects as well. He's a he's an incredible singer, right? Terrific talent. I do notice that, I don't know if I would call it a vocal trick, but he goes back a lot to that. It's not a shout, but 
I, I wish I had the the notes mapped out on the keyboard, but he he does what he does in the first song. He routinely comes back to that. I don't know if that was a vocal theme that he was trying to establish, or if that's just can, can his you give me an shtick. impression of it right now, Adam? <laughs> his voice? No yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> Always trying to get you to push your vocals. <laughs> <laughs> his voice is great. It is. Yeah, it, it's great. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, enough said about this apparatus oh, wait, must hang on. be unearthed. I, I, I think I had one note. I'm just going to bring it up here on my phone. Oh, the reverse drum thing at the end. It's kind of cool. Again, it, it might be our buddy doing the... Uh, the, what, what's it called? The style soundscaping, manipulation. right? Style <laughs> manipulation. It is odd. I but just that, had Wurlitzer for the win on this one. I really like the world. Uh, is that a Wurlitzer? That yeah, comes in the in beginning. There? I think for sure. Yeah. I think it's really cool so, too. Uh, yeah, it's really cool, and especially on an album that sounds so affected and produced and non-organic to have something like a Wurlitzer come in. It's a nice contrast to the rest of the sounds and it's, it, it was really, really tasteful. So the guy that played the keyboard on this, his name is Isaiah Owens also died while he was on tour with them. It was a few years later, but they seem to have death surrounding them. Jeez. I'm going to guess that it was a, what, a car accident or something like that. Definitely not a drug overdose. I'm pretty sure it was drug-related, but I'm not 100% <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <sighs> it's funny. It's almost like smoking crack and shooting <laughs> heroin are bad for you or mm. something. Yeah, dude. Heck, zero rogue. <laughs> Looking at these lyrics, they're ridiculous. The <laughs> altars run dry. Heck, zero rogue. Yeah. Augur of truth. Auger of oh, Auger of Truth isn't bad. I, yeah. <laughs> that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. It almost sounds like an album title for like a black metal band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's move it along to the last tune we're going to talk about. And the last track on this prodigious album, Take the Veil, Serpent Text. <laughs> song is a miss for me personally i cannot fault flea for this being a miss because the bass is on point like at always as always but it's like there's there's like a couple of songs mashed into one song here and i like the first song which is basically the first three minutes of this song and then there's the whatever weirdness breakdown i'm glad you bring that up because i wanted to call out what i think of as possibly the weirdest section on the record Full of weird sections, which begins right around 345. Let's play it here. 
It's a weird dissonant guitar line without rhythm that feels like it's speeding up and slowing down when it's isolated. Then the rhythm section comes in and kind of gives it purchase, if you will. And it sounds kind of cool, but it's definitely weird as hell. And then there's this weird paradoxical... I I wrote it down that 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 weird section sounds like insects performing brain surgery on you. (laughs) And then they follow it up. With perhaps the chillest groove on the record, like the Latin slow jam. The Latin yeah. slow jam. It's like, what are you doing? This is the only time I would have even approached calling this record relaxing. Is for about two minutes. <laughs> yeah. a weird yeah it's such a weird way for like right at the end of this album i one of my notes on here is that i was expecting some kind of epic crescendo yes you took right the 58 minutes of of perfecting your vision for this concept and same thing tom first time through i was like oh my god this last track is going to be crazy even if it's just a giant crescendo of drums and everybody soloing or something or something epic and i didn't get it well especially with the storyline behind it that a guy was in a coma came out of the coma and then committed suicide this just sort of ends it just sort of peters out and uh, maybe they're getting really deep with the metaphor there but it didn't give me that ending that i wanted It, it it didn't it didn't come together i was really hoping for something that was going to I almost wanted a musical, right? Like a musical ending or like a musical. A bunch of different stuff. Right. (laughs) It's the American idiot. Everybody's shaking their fist on stage thing. As in Broadway musical. Yeah. He does have a Broadway quality to his vocal. I could see that happening. No, I I have to agree. I mean, I think this song had a, it, it was kind of normcore for them. Actually, it had more of a discernible song structure. I thought compared to some of the other tunes, then it had the weirdest part on the record. Then it had the chillest part on the record. And then it just kind of petered out. It didn't, I was wanting for it to kind of mirror what I thought of as the epicness of the first two tracks, which was really kicked, kicked into gear and got me set for what this band was about. And they just didn't really bookend it. It was odd. Yeah. I'll make one last final fully is a badass note here, which is that like right at two forty-five. He does a lick. He does a sweet bass lick. And he doesn't do any sweet bass licks at all on this album. And it really, it highlights the lack of it throughout the rest of the album and the restraint that it takes to not do that. And if he was doing that all over the place, it would have been too much. But he does, it's really tasty. It's just a little like... Like yeah, that's badass. Run. It's really great. But, you know, again, it 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 just highlights the lack of it in the rest of the album in a way that is very positive. So, again, 
the song's a miss, but it ain't Flea's fault. Flea's still on point. It's interesting because it's like talking it through and sort of listening to some of the songs with you guys live. It's like, you know, at first glance, it's like I, my instincts, they want it to be more King Crimson. They want it to be more Santana. But it's like the, it, it does have this like this this franticness, this like ADHD nature that's like more like Emerson, Lake and Palmer or just jazz. Right. Just like out jazz. Just a lot louder. Just a lot louder. Yeah. And just right. more modern, though. I think some of those elements yeah, yeah, you just mentioned. Sure. Yeah. I like how Flea can just do no wrong. I mean, I sort of agree with you, but he's reached an interesting position where he is in, I think what we would all agree is kind of a band that makes terrible music for the last 20 years <laughs> plus. Chili Peppers? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet he's sort of unassailable. I don't know. Well, I will say this. You listen to some of the modern uh chili peppers music and he is phoning it in he's phoning it in kind of a lot in a way that it's not even that he's playing bad stuff it's not he's playing bad notes or anything like that it's just it lacks that level of he almost seems less interested in the music sure than he was originally he was really he's bought in originally and you can tell he's less bought in now and he's sort of just like this is my job and so my job is to put kind of a funky bass line down and that's it before he was like, "This is a funky baseline that I have worked to its core, and I know exactly what I should be playing, and I have everything sort of like I, I have grokked this on a level that allows me to just do whatever I want over it." And now it's just sort of he's falling back into the bag of tricks, you know, where he wasn't doing that before, and that's why I like the fact that he does these other projects where he plays outside of Chili Peppers. It's almost like Chili Peppers is the paying the bills music. And he's like, well, the thing I'm really interested in is like doing these other weird projects with other people. Dude, if you if you look at his like list of collaborations and credits, like it's extensive. Like he's definitely working. Yeah, yeah. Not he ain't working hard on those Chili Pepper songs though. Those Chili Pepper Dude, he's songs given he's standing. given credit for the baseline on Busta Move. Yeah, he was even in the video. I remember wearing the the pants that were covered in stuffed animals. Don't you remember that? I do not. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not true. <laughs> Sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah, he's. A, I mean, that's a great. He's got some again. other young MC credits too. So, like, of songs yeah. I don't know. So, this I think Tom makes a, good, a pretty passable, a reasonable argument for why that is. It could just be what the dad rock calls for. Like, maybe mm-hmm. he's just good enough to know that. Hey, man, this is what Red Hot Chili Pepper, modern Red Hot Chili Peppers fans want. So, why don't I just give them what they want? End of story. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually I haven't looked it up, but I gotta wonder if like Californication sold more than Blood Sugar Sex Magic. It might have, and they might have been like, "Well, that's just that's the route people want us to go in. They want scar tissue, and they don't want you know <laughs> Mellowship Slinky and B Major, you know." Right. Yeah, it's sure as shit sold more stadium tickets. That's for damn sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's we've we're done the list. We've talked this album to death. We're talking about other albums now. <laughs> Let's round it out with a vote. Does D. Loust in the Comatorium belong on the 1001 albums you must hear before you die list? Must you hear this album before you die, Tom? Ah, God damn it. I really wish that alphabetically I did not come first here Um, because I am torn on this. I like this album. I like a lot of what they're going for in this album. They miss quite frequently. And... Oftentimes, I will look at an album and say, why do, you, why do you need to listen to it? Did it point to other things? I don't think this album points to other things. 
I can't think of a lineage that this created of other music. Is it an enjoyable listen? I mean, not really. It's it's a good listen, but it's not an enjoyable listen. But I I'm gonna I'm gonna go yes that I think that you have to listen to it just because it's so damn weird and it's good. It's good and weird. It's not essential in the way that you can't understand modern music without having heard this, but it's a weird little cul-de-sac of musical exp- exploration that I think you should go down. It's it's worth your trip. Yeah, so I'm torn as well, and I think my thoughts are best explained with a quote from track three on this album. A half-mass commute through umbilical blisters, specter will lurk, radar has gathered, midnight nooses from boxcar cadavers. So if that doesn't, if that really doesn't explain. (laughs) Say no more. No, but this is, it's ambitious, it's crazy, it's dissonant. It was challenging, and while it will not be on my next dinner party mix, I do think you need to listen to this. It's a yes from me. So I think the record is very hip, but I do not think you need to listen to this before you die. I I just found it exhausting. Um, I think I can I can I can save you that. I do think it was challenging. I think it was ambitious. I might even listen to it a few more times myself to see if it can fully take. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was just, it's too much for me. Thumbs down. Wow. Well, now to cast my ultimately meaningless vote, but I'm going to say yes. I, I agree. It doesn't sound like anything really before or since. I think you just throw a bunch of other music in a blender. We've mentioned so many other bands and so many other songs in this conversation, but ultimately what this is, is is something new. It's it's to its own. And for that reason, so much music sounds very similar, is the truth of it. Even good music. This cannot be accused of that. And on top of that, it is ambitious. It's experimental music that is really successful, ultimately, I think, at its goal. So for that reason, yes, I agree with everything <laughs> else that was said, too. But yes, I think it's worth listening to. So take that, Mars Volta, Omar and Cedric, and the and the gang, you're on the list, baby. Good work. All that hard work paid off. All that crack smoking paid off. <laughs> 20 years after the fact. Okay. Now we only have one thing left, which is to talk about what we're going to be listening to this week. Tom, I'll throw it to All you. All right. I have that Albinator 5000 all primed up, ready to go. Let's spin that wheel and see what our homework assignment is for next week. So... Drum roll, please. Next week, we will be listening to... Oh, also noted crack and heroin addict Randy Newman. The album is Sail Away. Randy <laughs> I Newman? I have no idea what to expect is, from this album. Is that the, the only short Newman people song I, know is, <laughs> I was going to say short people. It's like the one I know. It's a little bit of a mood change. I, think. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought he was so. a generated character from Pixar. I didn't know <laughs> Randy Newman actually existed. Dude, no, Randy, God, a friend. He, does, he really does have a special gift to like read a script and basically be told like you're gonna write a song that rolls at the credits, right? Like hmm. please, please nail it. <laughs> you know, like he has a special you gift. Ha- for that. You have three I don't months. Know, I, yeah. <laughs> I don't know much of his work, but I do think of him as one of those people where as soon as you hear his voice, regardless of if you've heard the song, you know, before, you know right, it right. is. There's a, yeah, and that's there's a great rare. Family Guy skit where basically like Lois is just like, that's more annoying than having Randy Newman. 
uh, narrate your life. And he's just like, <laughs> oh, she's walking across the room. Oh, she's going to grab an apple. She's looking at me like I'm weird. Takes a bite of the apple. Takes another look at Randy. And then she walking away, left foot, right. It's like that's actually pretty close to a Randy Newman song. It's, it's good. pretty good. It's good. But it only but like Rob, to your point, it only works because he's got that voice that you're like anybody it's like the Randy Newman impression is like it's like the Christopher Walken impression. Like everybody right. kinda has one. Yeah. Totally. Well, I look forward to that. Audience, please put that on your turntables, play both sides if at all possible, and join us again next week. And in the meantime, if you like what we're doing, again, write us an email, 1001albumcomplaints at gmail. Post this to a Mars Volta fan group so that they can yell oh, at yes. us. Or you can yell at us. Either way, you want us to be yelled at, I'm sure. Totally reasonable. <laughs> Allow that to be so. For now, for this week, for 1001 Album Complaints, I've been Rob. <laughs> I've been Tom. I'm Adam. Boosh! <laughs> <laughs>